is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome to America Can We Talk. Welcome to my show. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thanks so much for tuning in and, and for tuning in for my first five tonight. I want to tell you about our trip to CPAC in this first five tonight. My husband and I attended the Conservative Political Action Committee, or CPAC, conference and put on annually. Uh, this is my third time I've attended. This is his first time. And I have not gone every year. I go intermittently. But it's such a great um, uh, kind of a, a finger on the pulse, especially of how young conservatives are thinking. So it was in Washington over this past weekend. We just had a great, great time. And part of what was really inspiring about it is that CPAC especially is designed to be inviting for college students and millennials. At one point, we were sitting in the audience in some conversation. Something, somebody was on stage. My husband said, I, I kind of feel like we're the chaperones here. I said, that's okay. This is good. These are young people pumped up about America. So I wanted to start by telling you that there were just, it was very substantive. I think sometimes if people don't go to these things, they might think it's kind of a rah-rah cheerleading conference. But honestly, it was extremely substantive. Um, I want to start with telling you about President Trump, who did speak on Friday morning at this conference. And the security was, of course, extremely challenging. But he spoke, and honestly, he even said in the middle of his speech something like, uh, okay, I'm just going to throw away the uh, script and just just talk to you. He just, he really... Um, I will report uh, numerous things about him. He spoke for an hour, almost an hour and a half, over an hour and 15 minutes. Um, He touched on many serious topics. But what I took away that I wanted to be sure to share was there was so much uh, energy and respect for him coming from the young people around us, these college-age kids. They were cheering, and they were cheering at the right points. They were clapping about the Second Amendment. They were clapping about secure border. They were clapping on the substantive talking points. So I, I was, it was very inspiring to see this uh, reverence for respect for our president um, at CPAC. Um, he hit on, uh, one thing he started out with was that a couple of years ago, I guess, at CPAC, the conversation had been, well, gee, Donald Trump's going to run for president. Is the guy really conservative? Who is this guy? And I will be, I have said that myself in 2016, kind of, is this guy really conservative or not? And he just pointed out some of his conservative credentials, which are all no valid. He talked about how he had, you know, gotten the Supreme Court justice appointed, who was just a stellar addition to the Supreme Court, um, um, Justice Gorsuch. Um, He talked about his tax cuts bill. He talked about cutting regulations, which many people are beginning to realize may be the most impactful thing of his entire first year of his presidency, how many unnecessary, burdensome federal regulations have been removed and not even requiring the vote uh, passing a new law. They simply have been removed under this Congressional Review Act process that we've talked about many times. But he was saying to you, look, I'm really conservative. Uh, that was one thing. He talked, of course, about the case in Florida and the just tragedy of losing 17 lives and the young man who committed these murders and the Second Amendment. And I was really um, interested in and uh, watching the young people around me because I would say there were probably more young women than men, uh, college age or just young millennials just out of college. And they were The women, too, cheering for the Second Amendment. And he made some great points about it and how we have some failures of the um, 
apparently, and we're going to talk about this in the next segment, but failures of the police, failures of the FBI to follow up. But I'm going to, I'm going to talk about not just the number of phone calls made and the failure to follow up, but the underlying cultural changes that have occurred in America uh, in the pre, under the previous eight years that put us in a position where just not simply as sure of ourselves, our law enforcement is not as sure of themselves as they need to be based on some cultural changes that happened uh, you know, under President Obama's watch. Um, he also talked about, he gave a tribute to Billy Graham, which was actually kind of tender. And you know, a lot of those young people were nodding along. Um, I will say some of the points in very exciting kind of high high tones in his remarks, these young people were standing up and, you know, pumping their fists and cheering. And it just kind of felt because you because so many of us are concerned about the youth vote and they seem to go to the big government side and to the Democrat side. But you felt like, wow, there, there are young people who get what's going on. He talked about North Korea, very substantive again, talked about the the um, surrounding uh, the issues surrounding trying to rein in the leader of North Korea, trying to figure out how to deal with him, deal with our ally China, which apparently could you know, shut down the North Korean dictator tomorrow if they got inspired enough to do that. He talked about immigration and law enforcement. And honestly, it was just it was a great speech. The other highlights, there were many, many great speeches um, at the um, CPAC. The other one I wanted to mention, there, there are too many to, to run through, but there was a great debate on the last day. It was actually on the screens coming in from Colorado Christian University, and they had a, an advocate for uh, the growth of legalization of marijuana, a, a man claiming to be a conservative who said he supports marijuana legalization, and they had someone pointing out the challenges of it. And that's something I'm going to come back to much later in the show tonight, being honest about the consequences to America and to these cities and states that have legalized marijuana. And really talk about, as a conservative, should you be a state's rights advocate and say, sure, if that's what you want to do, go ahead? Or is there a better, a different position that conservatives should take? So that's my first five. Love CPAC. Love talking to you. This is Debbie Georges, America Can We Talk. Come on back after the break. And when you do come back after the break, I want to talk with you more about Florida and what America really needs to do to address the problems we saw in Florida. Talk to you after the break. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, my friends, I do want to really focus tonight on, on the um, shooting in Florida and what the consequences are for America if we don't um, get this situation. I'm sorry, I got to talk to Greg, my board operator. I have no sound on my microphone. And my headphones, just so you know. Okay, so thank you. Okay, so thanks and welcome back to America. Can we talk? Um, I want to really um, spend a little bit of time on the Florida situation. Last week, when I talked to you about Florida, I focused on the fact that we can't, uh, cannot as a society solve the problem of violence among young people. We had more guns per capita in America 100 years ago. 
But somehow we have more violence now with fewer per capita guns. And so the question really is about, you know, what is causing increase in violence in our society? And so I talk with you about the um, problem of many children being raised in fatherless homes, talk with you about the challenge of um, the uh, child growing up without adequate um, protection at home, and also uh, the child um, talked about... Sorry, we're fussing with the volume here. Uh, the child growing up in home and in, in a society with less direction, less more, uh, kind of widespread and acceptance of moral standards. But I want to talk to about tonight what has come to light in the last week since the Florida shooting, which, you know, it's very obvious. Everyone of every generation, race, ethnicity, age, background is devastated when these things happen. Everyone. Everyone. Every gun owner, every person who hates guns, every person who's whatever your background, everyone has the same reaction. But there's always an attempt to exploit by the American left to say, good chance to make, to increase some uh, and advocate for more gun control. But I want to talk about some of the things that have come to light that I think we all have to keep in mind in trying to say, what can we do as a society to reduce the likelihood that this happens ever, ever again? So I want to hit on a couple of things. One is to be sure you realize that there was an FBI tip called into the FBI. A tipster called in, and actually the um, Wall Street Journal ran the entire uh, conversation, the call-in, which was on January 5th, a call-in to the FBI by someone who said, you need to check out this guy. This is very, very, very dangerous guy. Uh, Language used by the person who was a family member. Uh, talked about, um, he said, I just want to have a clear conscience if he takes off and just starts shooting places up. He, he said he's into ISIS. You see guns all over his Instagram. If you go to his pages, you'll see guns all over the place. Something is going to happen. And then he also said in this recorded conversation with a caller in January to the FBI, reported in the Wall Street Journal. In fact, everything I ever mention on my show is posted at americachemitalk.org. You can read it yourself. He said, you know, it's just it's just so much. I know he's going to explode. He actually said that. This, the, in fact, it was she, a woman who called, a family member. She talked about, he talks about ISIS. He dresses up like one of them. He dresses that way, and if you go to Instagram account, uh, there's a picture of him. He has a thing for Arabic words. And actually, the chilling near-the-end statement by this caller to the FBI said, um, I, I just think about, you know, getting into a school and just shooting the place up. That's the words she attributed to this Nicholas Cruz guy who did indeed get into a Florida school and shoot the place up. So huge, huge, huge dropping of the ball by the FBI, not trying to figure out how to follow up. In addition to that, there were calls to the local police department, the local sheriff's department. And I was going to give you a little bit of that detail again. The FBI got two specific warnings about this Parkland shooter. The Broward County Sheriff's Department were called to the Parkland shooter's home 39 times since 2010. Obviously a deeply troubled young man, 39 times. Callers to the Broward Sheriff's Department warning multiple times about this shooter. So you question, why is it? What is it that could have been done? Why weren't these followed up on? And, and did the law enforcement authorities, the FBI or the Sheriff's Department, did they think they could not act? And so that, so that was the one thing. I'm going to come back to later why they may have thought they could not act at all. But now it's come to light or to all of us to digest what happened. There was an armed sheriff of the Broward County Sheriff's Department on the premises, on the grounds of the school, 
heard the shooting inside the school and did not go in. He's trained, he's armed, he's on duty, and he stayed outside while that shooting was happening. And then when a carload full of other sheriff, um, sheriff department uh, folks showed up and the local police, finally two sheriffs and one local officer went in. And of course, the devastation happened in about four minutes. The people were already dead. And they stood outside and they waited. And so that's another question, which obviously everyone and their brother is talking about. But I have a, a, when I get to my point, I want to tell you why I think it's so important to think about this. These were, these school shootings have been relatively common. I mean, not common is not a right word. They've had too many of them. They've had too many in the last 10, 20 years. And you would think that the, just the impetus, the moment a a law enforcement officer who's armed and trained and knows how to use a gun, the impetus should be you run into the danger. Just like the fire department people ran into the World Trade Center towers, recognizing they were putting their life on on the line, but they did it and they did, many did lose their lives. But this was officers sitting outside. Okay. Next thing I want to be sure to talk about is this whole, um, what was an underlying thing that's happened in Broward County in particular. And if you recognize the name Broward County, uh, you may recognize that it has been in the news several times in recent years. In Broward County, uh, the, um, there was an agreement entered uh, as a result of litigation in November of 2013. The agreement is called the Collaborative Agreement on School Discipline. This was a, an agreement, a court, uh, an entry after a um, court battle between the school board of Broward County, um, the judge, the sheriff of Broward County, and the essential thing of this was, or the plain English term they are using for this, is that it was a, the, uh, I don't have the name of it, the Promise Pack, the Promise, um, okay, whatever it was called. The idea of it was they were trying to have a, um, a way to intervene in school and bad behavior by students that did not result in the arrest or criminal record of students. So they entered this collaborative agreement on school discipline, which in short pretty much made it impossible to arrest a student in a high school. Almost no matter what they did. Almost no matter what the conduct. It was a list of the, the um, things you could not do as a, um, I'm sorry, finally found things, the Promise Program. They called this the Broward County Sheriff um, Department was subject to the Promise Program, which was essentially trying to avoid having a criminal record be created uh, by student, for students who misbehave in school. So instead of when co- the, the officers are called to the scene of, a, of something that's happening, they have a bunch of steps, you know, step one, step two. They, had, they called it a matrix of steps. But the point was, instead of having an absolute insistence on law-abiding behavior, on good conduct, they excused and excused and excused bad conduct, found all sorts of ways. They were, they were working with a student, sympathizing with a student, could not impose punishment on the student. And so they, it was, they were calling it a culture of common sense discipline. It was, and the Florida legislature had gotten involved saying they're encouraging schools to use alternatives to expulsion or referral to law enforcement agencies by addressing disruptive behavior through restitution, civil citation, teen court, neighborhood register of justice, similar programs. And the reason I raise this is this. We've had a culture of attacking and criticizing police officers at least the last nine or ten years. 
heavily on the Obama administration. Criticism of police officers using force. We had Broward County enter an agreement more or less trying to say to police officers, don't you think about arresting those people? Don't you think about arresting them, no matter how disruptive they are. Somehow it's, it's not the, the student's fault. It's not the young person's fault. It's society's fault. It's something else. So that was in play. And when you think about the psychology, you're, you're a police officer, you're a sheriff, you understand that there has been, there will be just any time you discharge your weapon, you are likely to end up at the, you know, in, in a protracted litigation, name in the headlines, criticized, mocked. And, you know, this has been written about, actually, by Heather McDonald, that we are seeing the bad effects of this constant piling on of police officers and criticizing police where they're hesitant to go in in violent situations. They don't want to go in because they don't want to end up being with their name in the headline and their name, they're possibly being indicted. So we had a situation where these sheriffs both the sheriff who was on scene at the time, the, the, who was the, he was the public safety officer at that school, heard the shooting and stayed outside, ducking under a, a stairwell um, and calling in the situation instead of getting the heck in there and trying to take out the shooter. But, you know, this culture, we have a lot of things to revisit, which are including the FBI and Sheriff's Department explaining why no action was taken. Maybe this Bravo's collaborative agreement wasn't nearly good enough. Didn't it, it caused us to be unable to respond? And we have a situation. We need to be sure that uh, p- police and sheriff think that their first order of business is keeping children and innocent people safe. And it may mean they're going to have to take the bold move and get inside and go to the fight. Okay, folks, that is the story for uh, this uh, show. There's more talk about this case. It will be, um, unfortunately, probably for months and maybe years. But I want us to be very, very clear. There's no reason to be attacking the Second Amendment, the NRA, and legal gun owners just because this incident occurred in Broward County. The danger to America is not because... Okay, well, after the break, I'll tell you more about it. Come back. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether in Forming the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, 
They offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgettis. I'm so glad you've tuned in this evening. And I have a guest in the studio, um, and he's right, which is great. He's in person, not on the phone. And so if you're watching on Facebook Live, we're both here. Thanks for tuning in. And I have Chaplain Rich Stoglin. And I met him recently at actually an event for the Texas Asian Republican Assembly, one of my favorite groups in the uh, Texas area, uh, Dallas area. And um, the reason I want to talk with him is this is the last weekend of um, Black History Month, and he's actually chairman of something that I think is just, I love the idea of it, and I want to have him tell you about it. He's chairman of the Frederick Douglass Republicans of Tarrant County, which is a, you know, just, if you don't know anything about Frederick Douglass, that's what I wanted to start out with, having him tell you who Frederick Douglass was in American history. Well, uh, first of all, thank you, Debbie G., for having me on your show. Uh, Frederick Douglass was a phenomenal uh, person. He uh, was a slave. Uh, he met his he, uh, only, he only knew his mother at night. He never saw her during the day. She would uh, read to him and all of that. And he eventually uh, started reading because he was a caulker on ships. Eventually, at the age of 20, he escaped into slavery. Got really close to the microphone. Okay, yeah. he escaped into slavery. And then, uh, thanks to his 
wife who was, or his lady that he met, she was a free a black, and they escaped and changed their name from Bailey to Douglas. And he became an outspoken abolitionist. He became a, a confidant of President Abraham Lincoln and also was one of the forces behind the signing the Emancipation Proclamation of President Abraham Lincoln on 1 uh, January 1863. He was a woman suffrage. After the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, he helped recruit over 150,000 colored soldiers for the Union Army and over 10,000 for the United States Navy. So. Didn't didn't he actually? He went to uh, directly to President Lincoln to say to urge, "I want these people. I I organized these, these these troops. I want you to let them fight on behalf." Of, didn't they? I mean, I was reading, but I think that he encouraged and, and got President Lincoln to agree they could fight on behalf of the North. Right, of course. the fifty fourth Massachusetts uh, Union uh, uh, Army. I mean, it, they were phenomenal. People thought they were not going to fight. People thought they were cowards. People thought they would run in the in the scene of action, and all that proved to be uh, untrue. He also, uh, Abraham Lincoln, also, again, encouraged President Lincoln to sign the Emancipation Proclamation. There were a series of issues that were occurring, and there were several drafts that were done. And after the Union Army finally won against Robert E. Lee at the Battle of Antium, then the proclamation was issued. And Abraham Lincoln invited Frederick Douglass on several occasions and openly embraced him. And Frederick Douglass went on to say that he is a Republican because it is the party of Lincoln and he would be nothing else. And so Frederick Douglass went on to talk about women's suffrage. He went on to talk about he was a marshal for a while. He was a consulate. He was an author, my bondage and my freedom. Uh, He was phenomenal. And he is the one who really we want whose principles and the Frederick Douglass Republicans of Tarrant County that we uh, emulate. I love I love his story. I read it again in anticipation of our show today. He also, you know, he was a, uh, it's an amazing thing you think he lived his childhood through age 20 as a slave right. and then escaped and he became such a, so uh, well-spoken, well-written. He wrote book. I mean, he has one of his most famous 1845 autobiography, right. Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. That was still when 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 slavery was in place. It, obviously, we hadn't had the Civil War yet. That's correct. So he, he just, yeah, go ahead. He wrote My Bondage and My Freedom. He talked about all of those things. He wrote books. The fact of the matter is, is that here is a person born into slavery who had to sneak uh, and learn how to read. And one of the slave owner's wives uh, did that until she was strongly uh, discouraged and admonished for not doing it because what if he learns how to read as well and then he wants to use his escape? Uh, through writing. And so he used what little he had uh, from that experience. And then he went on to say to his master, as it were, look, if you want me to uh, hire out and be the right and caulk the right ship, I've got to be able to read what the name of the ship is. So <laughs> yeah. he said, well, that's the point. And so he started allowing him to read the name of the ship. But Frederick Douglass obviously uh, did more than just read the name of ships. He read and read and uh, eventually escaped and once they escaped he and his uh, soon-to-be wife and they were married they changed their name to be douglas one to throw off the fugitive slave uh catchers and i'll if you we have time we'll talk about that in two he and his wife said we will name ourselves and not any once yeah. so he became frederick douglas and in fact because of that uh negro history week 
was started because of the uh, birthdays in February of Abraham, President Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. You know, actually, I read this too. Frederick Douglass, because he was born in, in slavery, there wasn't, he didn't know for sure what his birthday was, so he chose February 14th, which is That's Valentine's correct. Day. Yeah. That's correct. Another great thing, you know, you think about the, the misery and unfairness and brutality of slavery. You could just decide as a person, I've gotten free and dang it, I'm just going to enjoy life. He dedicated his life. He didn't go that selfish route. He dedicated his life, as you, as you were saying a moment ago, Chaplain Stoglin, to, you know, not just to pushing toward ending slavery, but speaking up for women. And even after the Civil War was over and he went forward, he, um, he was still speaking up in the 1890s, pointing out uh, the Jim Crow things that were unfair. He he edited an influential black newspaper. I mean, the guy just was a he was a prolific writer and, and just profound in his life story, his and life he, work. He knew William Steele. He knew Harriet Tubman. He wrote eloquent, eloquently about uh, 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 Tubman, who was called uh, the Moses because she yeah. is uh, credited for springs over 300 slaves through the Underground Railroad and never lost a passenger. Uh, in her journey. So he wrote very eloquently of that and the courage that she did and it demonstrated. Speaking of his courage, and I do want to get to what your organization does, but one more thing about Frederick Douglass was so, I, I love celebrating his life and, ta- and having people know about it. He was invited, of all ironies, he was invited to speak on July 4th in 1852. So Rochester. think about it. Yeah. July 4th, more Americans, Americans are thinking this is celebrating our freedom, our revolution. We stood up against King George. Look, we got freedom. And he came and he did accept the invitation to speak. But he said, this 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn. Hmm. He's basically saying you're celebrating your freedom, but my people don't have freedom. Right. He was lamenting. Uh, and they were rejoicing, and they were saying, isn't this great? And he says, no, it isn't great. What does the 4th of July mean to the to the colored man, to the Negro? It, it doesn't mean anything because here we had Crispus Attucks, uh at the Boston Massacre, uh, who was one of the original freedom fighters shot down by the British forces, and, and yet uh, we could not do that. We cannot celebrate that because you don't recognize the two. You haven't connected it. And so forth. And so and, and Frederick Douglass was very aware of the Fugitive Slave Acts that they could uh, a slave owner could could say, look, you're in New York. I can come back and get you. And he was saying, no, you can't. And so he had a lot going on. And that's why Frederick Douglass never uh, became very small in the battle. He had to remain that giant personality, because bear in mind, you didn't have a lot of African-Americans running around in this country at the time free to speak and to speak openly as he did. And able to be so eloquent as yes. he was, too. Yeah. Yes. OK, so you mentioned you made allusion to that. He he Frederick Douglass decided after the Civil War that, you know, he really he sided, of course, with Lincoln because he, he's Republican. So he was among the beginning of the uh, the sense of identifying black Americans with the Republican Party. You agree with that? I agree. In fact, uh, there is a quote that I use in the front of our notebook of Frederick Douglass Republicans of Tarrant County. And it says, I prefer to be true to myself, even at the hazard of incurring the ridicule of others. Rather than to be false and to incur my own abhorrence, I'd rather be a Republican. I'm a die-in-the-wool Republican, and I prefer no one else because this is the party of Lincoln, the party of liberty and freedom. Okay, we're going to, um, I, I want to have you, we're speaking, if you're just tuning in, to Chaplain Stoglin, who is uh, here in studio, which I really appreciate. He's chairman of the Frederick Douglass Republicans of Tarrant County. And we come back after our break, which is coming up shortly. I want to talk about, you know, what do you do, first of all, to spread, you know, 
historically the GOP has not been successful in getting a, a significant segment a segment of the uh, African American vote. You know, what, what do we do about that? What does the Frederick Douglass Society of Tarrant County do about that? And really, why is it that Republican that Black Americans today should say I side with the Republican Party? I want to talk about all that, and I want to talk about Black History Month because this is the end of Black History Month. So we're going to talk really fast in the next segment. But on Black History Month, I will I'll close with this little point I was going to make. I I had a series of quotations I I may get to or not, but you know there are conservative Black Americans like like Lloyd Marcus who just says you know Black History Month is silly. It's just I, I don't want to do that. And then I had a great conversation with Star Parker. I'll share with you after the break about how she sees Black History Month and she enjoys celebrating it. Share what she thinks, and then we'll hear uh, what Chaplin Soglin has to say about that. So. We have lots more to talk about. I'm Debbie George Giles. This is America Can We Talk. Come right back after our break. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. 
They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. As I mentioned earlier, I have a guest in the studio, uh, my new friend, Chaplain Stoglin. Met him at the uh, Texas Asian Republican Assembly meeting and realized that he is uh, chairman of the Frederick Douglass Republicans of Tarrant County. And I'm going to ask in one minute to tell her, 30 seconds to tell you what they do. But, you know, this Black History Month, I do think my, my good friend, Star Parker, I had a long conversation with her recently. She was saying, she just would love to have young people in America, young black Americans, have a sense that there's so much reason to have pride and and um, and appreciation or knowledge of all of the black Americans throughout our history who contributed so many things. And that's the reason she just she appreciates celebrating Black History Month. It's not about, as some people, you know, griping about the uh, nature of American culture and society. It's not a, it's not a month to gripe and criticize. It's a month to celebrate the great contributions uh, of black Americans throughout history. OK, so Chaplain Soglin, what do you do in the Frederick Douglass Republicans of Tarrant County to spread the word? I'm going to read it to you exactly as we put it in our mission statement of the Frederick Douglass Republicans of Tarrant County. And before I do, I'm the second chairman. The, the founding chairman was Reby Carey, who is a Coast Guard, uh, Coast Guardsman during a time it was very segregated in this country. And he was a radio man and not a messman. And so he started it in 1985 is when we started. Our mission of the Frederick Douglass Republicans of Tarrant County is to maximize the growth and participation of the African-Americans in the Republican Party and to be a resource for empowerment as well as economic, social, and political issues affecting the African-American at all levels of government. And so we are not uh, segregated from the Republican Party. We embrace the Republican Party and its platform, and we certainly want to say, look, we want you to remember the history of the African-Americans who were founders of the Republican Party. We are not Johnny-come-laters, okay? We were there from the beginning. And and uh, particularly if you look at the Civil War during this Reconstruction period for 11 years, we had PBS Pinchback, governor of uh, uh, Louisiana. We had United States senators from Mississippi 
from other states that you wouldn't believe. North Carolina. These were all Republicans. And we have not. I'm sorry, black Republicans? Black Republicans. United States senators, congressmen uh, from Mississippi, North Carolina for 11 years in the United States Senate. And we had a governor, PBS pinchback, black Republican, the state of Louisiana. We have not been able to replicate any of that on the level that they that these four thinking black Republican senators uh, had during 11 years of this country's reconstruction period. These were all black Republicans. Wow. No, there's some history. I wish I can't be taking notes because I'm listening, but I wish I could take notes. I don't even know all of those names you just mentioned. Yes. It is really a, um, a very unfortunate thing. I think if anyone thinks they choose their politics, uh, you know, and anything other than what are the ideas you stand for? What are the values you stand for? So what if a young black American said to you, geez, most blacks in America vote Democrat. Why are you Republican? What would you tell them? You are the, we are the party of freedom. The party who liberated slavery. In fact, that's why the Republican Party came into existence 6 July 1854. They were extremely annoyed. They were angry. How could we, as Americans who fought against the revol- in the Revolutionary War from England and in the War of 1812, because England was still angry with Americans for having the audacity to have their own freedom— and then they were saying, why would we be hypocritical about saying keep these black people in, in chains and shackles and, and all that kind of thing? And so they became annoyed, particularly with the, with the Fugitive Slaves Act stemming from 1793 to 1850, where persons could go and get you from one state to the other. And they were saying, you can't do that. Eventually, that became so much of a battle that they decided that we're not going to put up with this anymore. And after the 1857 Dred Scott case, which basically the U.S. Supreme Court said most Democrats, and they were from the South, there, there is no law uh, that any white man will respect of a black person. And that, we believe, was one of the impetus that created the Civil War. Yep. So the, civil, the, the, uh, the, the Republicans were adamant about that. That's in their platform that we are the party of liberty, we are the party of, of freedom, and they were adamantly against slavery, and they were abolitionists with Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, all of these African-Americans. And if you want to know more, I would strongly encourage you, and I received no remunerations from this book, but it is one great book called The Defender. The Defender was the Chicago Defender, where it was the pre- preeminent black newspaper for 100 years, and it was owned by black Republicans of Chicago, Illinois. They, If you wanted to get elected, you wanted to have power even when it was infamous for black people to speak out, they supported the NAACP, Brown versus Topeka, Kansas. These were the people who did it. And it's written by Ethan McCalley, who is Jewish, by the way, and, and by accident, I call it an act of God, ended up working for them and tells the story. You'd be surprised that the information that is in this book about black Republicans and the Republican Party and the major role that we've played in the Republican Party for decades. Wow. <laughs> okay. You know what? First of all, I am just, I love your passion. I love it. I love that you're passionate. And I just, and I love the idea that just, you know, freedom is naturally appealing to everyone, to right. all. It is a natural thing. And I think we, so many issues we talk about in this radio show, the difference between how the Republican Party approaches things and the Democrats is the Republicans try to hold on to the idea of the rights and freedom of the individual. And that is the, the premise, the, the reason for the existence of, of the, the Declaration of Independence. In fact, so go ahead. That's correct. In fact, one of the first black 
uh, millionaires in the great state of Texas. Name was William Madison McDonald. Most people don't know him by that name. Most people know him by Gooseneck McDonald. Mm-hmm. And he died in 1950. He was the first black uh, millionaire in the great state of Texas. And he was in Fort Worth, Texas, and was creator of the Tan Party, which was a, a uh, party uh, like the Frederick Douglass Repo- uh, Republicans of Tarrant County. He was for the state. In fact, some of the most prominent white Republicans, and I say that for a reason, he helped them get elected. And he was a black man part of the tan party of the Republican Party from Fort Worth, Texas. How did he make his money? How did he become a millionaire? He was a person who uh, he, he made a, he had a bank and he loaned oh. dollars. And so black people couldn't go to anybody else. And he knew how to do that. And he became an he was an entrepreneur. He was also one of the very first blacks in this state to finish high school. Big deal that day, that yeah. time and to go to college in Tennessee. And and so which is still existing. And so this man took all of his experiences brought them back to the great state of Texas, settled in Fort Worth, and he also built the Masons. He's had buildings. This man was phenomenal. He was named after two presidents. And so he uh, did phenomenal work, and he died in 1950. His name was William Gooseneck McDonald. I've written about him in an article back January of 2017, thanks to Mr. Tim O'Hare, who asked me to do that, the chairman of the uh, Tarrant County GOP, and I did that, and it's called African-Americans and Republican Party, the creators of a two-party system. You know, um, I, obviously you're so passionate about this, which makes for great radio, plus it's just really fun to, to observe your passion. I do want to say, I think that uh, back to the modern-day situation we're in, there's another group, I know it's not yours, but they, there's one group uh, called the Frederick Douglass Foundation. There are many things that use mm-hmm. the Frederick Douglass name because his his life was such a was such a statement Dominant. of freedom and power and, yes. and commitment to what was right and good and true. This group, the Frederick Douglass Foundation, um, had it just happened on them today, and I was getting ready for the show. But they were talking about how uh, the Democrat Party had in one of their platform, Democrats.org, had in their platform, we've worked to pass every one of our nation's civil rights laws on every civil rights issue. Democrats have led the fight. And the mantra of this group, Frederick Douglass Foundation, just is that, it, that this should be filed under monumental lie of the century. I mean, this is what's so astounding. The Democrats claim to be the party of liberating uh, slavery. Or, okay, them I can see they weren't the ones liberating slavery, but that they stand for liberating the individual. They have not historically ever stood. It was Republicans who got through every change in American law and our Constitution to bring about to bring about more and more equality, to bring about what was right in America. Were it not for... Uh, two things. Were it not for the moderate Republicans of LBJ, who gets the credit because he was the president, they would not have passed the civil rights movement. I mean, law. They would not have passed the public accommodation. I couldn't be sitting here talking to you if it were not for those moderate Republicans at the time saying, we have got to remember our history. Secondly, when you look at the fact of uh, freedom and so forth, uh, Republicans, if they remember their history, they can suggest very strongly Benjamin Hooks, uh, Thaddeus Coleman, the first African-American secretary of transportation, Benjamin Hooks, executive director of NAACP, Daddy King Sr. You, uh, we can talk about W.B. Du Bois. We can talk about uh, uh, other people whom people presume. Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington, who would think they presume, oh, he was, they were Democrats. Wrong. These people were Republicans. They were in the fight for civil rights. They gave dollars. Jackie Robinson not only uh, could hit a ball, but he could also raise funds. He spent a lot of dollars 
getting uh, people out of jail, Dr. King and all of those kinds of people. These were Republicans. And you say, well, that was then, this is now. If we remember our history, we are the now. And that's what we're trying to get people to understand. If you want to know about freedom and you want to know about economic development, for example, the Tarrant County GOP is now a member of the Frederick Douglass, excuse me, uh, is now a member of the um, Fort Worth Metropolitan Black Chamber of Commerce. They are members of the Hispanic, the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And then we are in discussion and joining the Tarrant County Asian uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce. Why? Because we've got to do economic empowerment as well as education. And that's what we have to understand. And people say, well, why are you Republican? You believe in, in values. You believe in family. You believe in economics. You believe in, in liberty. That's the Republican Party. We just don't realize it. And why do people vote Democrat? Because all they know is with the Democrats, the Democrats, because if they come into your church once a year and give you $5 and a chicken, then if you satisfied with <laughs> and that, a chicken. yeah, and a chicken and all of that's what the daily machine used okay. to do. And they said he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Really? Okay, you are so inspiring. Chaplain Stoglin, I'm so glad you could come in tonight. Is there a quick way for our listeners, if they want to know more about you, a place they can go or a way to contact you? I don't, I didn't ask you beforehand, so oh, maybe there's well, not. If they, if they want to do that, they can uh, email me at richdoglin at yahoo.com, richdoglin at yahoo.com, and we will talk to you more, be glad to talk to you more about the Frederick Douglass uh, Republicans of Tarrant County and when we meet and that kind of thing. And by the way, you don't have to be African-American to be a member of the Frederick Douglass Republicans of Tarrant County. We are the party of liber- of liberation and freedom, not a party of segregation. Okay, Chaplain But you Sodden have to cannot, be serious with us. Cannot thank you enough so very much for coming in. I so appreciate having you. And, folks, we're going to go off the top of the hour break. When we come back, I want to tell you about two great events at SMU. I'm speaking there this coming Wednesday, and Dennis Prager is coming there for the Young America's Foundation. So when we come back, I'll tell you all about it. Don't go away.